You're listening to the Mission Church Podcast. Each message comes from our Sunday morning gatherings where we worship in community, study God's Word, and grow in our faith together to the glory of Jesus Christ. The Mission Church is committed to helping each person belong and believe and to equip them to embrace the call of God upon their life. We pray these messages will build your faith and encourage you today. Right now, let's jump into a Bible study and pick up where we left off last week. We're in Matthew chapter 12. So uh, grab your Bibles there. And for all of you listening online, we miss you guys so much. Uh, I wish you could see what I see here. The place is just uh, full. Uh, we're, uh, but there's room for you. So guys, everybody, welcome everybody who's listening online. Let them hear you. Give a big yell. We miss you. For those who are at high risk, we totally understand. You need to, uh, you know, keep yourself safe and we support you completely. But know that we love you and miss you. You know what we'd like if you're listening online? Oh, shoot us an email. Say hi. Let us know uh, that you're watching and uh, uh, we sure would love to hear from you. Um, again, though, let's get our Bibles open. Let's open to Matthew chapter 12. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand. And if you don't have one, can I tell you something? You need a Bible. You'll enjoy it so much more if you can follow along. So just raise your hand. One of these good-looking guys will uh, uh, give you a Bible and, and you can mark it up and, and you can keep it if you need one. Uh, title of the message this morning is Examining Our Spiritual Condition. When you go to the doctor, they always do something when you first come in. doesn't matter if you go in for a hangnail, a hernia, or a heart attack. They always check your what? Your vitals, your vitals. Some of you said blood pressure, that's one of your vitals. They always check your vitals. They check your pulse, they check your weight, they check your height, they check your temperature, I don't know what all they check, but they check your vitals. Well, there's some spiritual vitals as well. And today we're going to be looking at that. Uh, uh, It's for you to do a self-diagnostic on your relationship with Jesus. How's your walk with Jesus? Well, today we're going to look. Jesus is going to give us four tools that we can use to examine, to appraise, to check out our spiritual condition. And uh, uh, let me kind of set the stage for where we're going. We're picking up kind of in the middle of a story as we go through verse by verse in the Bible. And here's what's happening. Jesus has just been called the devil. Crazy, right? Just crazy. Crazy place to pick up a study, but that's where we're at. Jesus has just been called the devil. He's been called Beelzebub, which means Lord of the Flies. It was a common term for the devil in Jesus' day. And the people that are calling him this are not pagans, they're pastors. They're not criminals, they're clerics. It's the religious people that are calling Jesus a demon. Crazy. And uh, here we learn something important about the kingdom. Uh, Here we learn something important about religion. Here we learn something important about church life. You know what it is? There's posers in the kingdom. There's imposters in the kingdom. Take a look around. There might be one next to you. I'm saying that tongue-in-cheek, but here's what I know. The reality is, oh, there's imposters in the church. 
There's imposters in God's kingdom. And uh, they use the same vocabulary that Christians do. And they sing the worship songs just like Christians do. And they smile like Christians do. And they carry a Bible like Christians do. They even post Christian posts and Christian memes on social media. But they're imposters. They're fakes. Uh, they, uh, they're what Jesus said, they're tares among the wheat. We're going to look at that next week in this uh, kingdom parables. He gave a parable about them. They're weeds among the wheat. They grow up, they look like just like the wheat, but oh, what time goes by and it's proven there's, they're not wheat at all. They're weeds. And so it's interesting to see that this is happening. Uh, they use God's name fluently. But they don't know God. Oh, they know Bible stories. They know about God. But they don't know God. He doesn't govern their life. And the truth of it is, even though they know about God, they wouldn't know God if He was standing right in front of Him. In front of them. And as a matter of fact, He was. His name was Jesus. He was God in the flesh. God became a man and he dwelt among us. And he was standing in front of them and they called him the devil. Crazy. Crazy. And so that's where we pick up. And uh, I'm going to tell you something that should make every person here tremble. It makes me tremble. Uh, Here's what this shocking news is. They did not know they were the imposters. They thought they were the real deal. And that scares me, right? Because I don't want to be that guy who thinks he's right with God when he's not. Jesus said that many will come to me in that day. I wish he used the word few. But he said many will come to me in that day and say, Lord, Lord, didn't I cast out demons? Didn't I teach Bible studies? Didn't I teach Sunday school? Wasn't I the pastor of the mission church? And he will say, depart from me. I never what? knew you, you workers of lawlessness. What's that? Yeah, they thought they knew God. They didn't know God. Dangerous place to be. So how can we know if we really know Him? How can we know if we're imposters or if we're the real Christians? How can we know if we're tares or if we're wheat? You see, they were shocked. They thought they were uh, super saved. They were so good. And yet, uh, that wasn't the case. How can we know? Well, I have good news. It's not complex. It's not complex at all. And if we would just genuinely and honestly look at a few things, we can know for sure that we're in a right position with God through Jesus Christ. And uh, those four things that we're going to look at today that Jesus gave us, I'm going to give them to you quickly, and then we'll unpack them, okay? There's four things that Jesus said we can use to examine our spiritual condition. Number one is our words. Our words. Number two is our wants. Number three is our worship. And number four is our walk. Our words, our wants, our worship our walk. Four things we can use to examine our spiritual condition. Now, a little sidebar before we go farther. 
When I talk about our spiritual condition, I'm talking about those who, are in a, uh, who, who, who profess a faith in God. You see, our spiritual condition, apart from Jesus Christ, is very clear in the Bible. It's dead. We are spiritually dead apart from Jesus Christ. There is nothing we can do to have life. Uh, it has to be Him giving us life. Uh, we can't be good enough to be uh, Christian or to walk with God. or We can't be good enough. It doesn't work that way. We have to be born again. So we're spiritually dead before we come to Christ. And Jesus will give life to any who come to him. All we have to do is say, Jesus, I believe you're God in the flesh. I believe that you came to this earth as a man to take the punishment of my sin upon your back on the cross. On the cross, Jesus took the punishment of our sin so that he might give us his righteousness as a free gift. And if you would like to be born again, all you have to do is ask Jesus to believe that he did that to accomplish it for you, and bam, you're born again. But now that you are born again, it's good to evaluate your spiritual health. To evaluate your spiritual condition. And that's what today's talk is about. We're going to be examining our spiritual condition. So here's, let's jump into the text. We pick up in verse 33, Matthew 12, verse 33, find your spot. And here's what's happening. Jesus has just healed a blind man. Imagine that. A man who's never seen and now he sees for the first time. Not only was he blind, he was also deaf. You think you've got a hard day, right? I mean, he's blind and deaf. As if that wasn't bad enough, he's mute. He can't speak at all. As if that wasn't bad enough, he's demon-possessed. And in this horrible state, Jesus comes and with a single word, he delivers him by his power. The man sees, the man speaks, the man comes to his sane mind, he hears. It's remarkable. It's remarkable. And the Jewish leaders, being jealous, they blurt out, he's done this by the power of Beelzebub, by the power of Satan. And we looked at that in depth last week. We pick up right there in verse 33 with Jesus addressing this crazy accusation that he's doing this by the power of Satan. And here's what Jesus says about it. Verse 33, are you there? You got your finger on the verse? You ready to read? Give me a big amen if you're there in your Bible. I love it, I love it. Let's read together. Let's pray as we do. Jesus, we know that your word is powerful, it is living, but it is spiritual. And Lord, we don't have spiritual eyes unless you give them to us. So Lord, allow us to see the wondrous things that are written in your word. Speak to us personally and individually that we might hear from you. We ask it in your holy name. Amen. Jesus says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. Here's what Jesus is saying. What are you talking about? I have a demon. Are you kidding me? Look at my life. Look at my actions. Look at what I'm doing. Look at the fruit of my life. It will reveal to you that my work is good. He says, hey, listen, the first order of business is you have to make a decision about me. 
Look at the things I'm doing. I'm preaching and people are getting saved. Multitudes are coming into a relationship with God. The deaf hear, the lame walk, the blind see. All outward uh, radical miracles, but all a picture of what happens to us not only physically, but what happens to us spiritually as he opens our eyes to see the truths of things we cannot see. Maybe you're in a relationship. You're in a marriage. It's your third marriage and you're struggling and man, you just can't see how to get this thing right. Oh, he can open our eyes that we might see how to have an amazing relationship, how to love in a way that builds intimacy. Oh, that's what he does. This is what he's doing. And he's saying, look at the fruit in my life. Don't you love good fruit, by the way? I, I had an orange this this week. Oh my gosh. Uh, hard to beat a good orange, right? And I started peeling that thing. And as soon as I broke off the first peeling, squirt, I go, oh, this is going to be a good one, right? And you open it up and it's just sweet. It's like, it's like an ice cream sundae in a little portable package. Just amazing, right? How does he do that? And it grows head high. You just walk by, oh, there it is. I mean, amazing design, right? I'm diverting already. Uh, But there's times that I peel an orange and I open it up and no juice squirts out. It's it's just dry. It looks not orange. It looks yellow. And it's like, what the heck? I want a good fruit. Jesus says, look at my life. Look at the fruit. It's abounding. It's life-giving. It's sweet. It's nur. I mean, look what's happening. And, um, uh, just amazing that, you know, this is going on. They're, they're calling him these things. Look what he says. You brood of vipers. A brood is a family. You family of snakes. Or if you follow the logic, uh, you sons of Satan. How can you, being evil, speak good things? Answer, you can't. You can't. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Boy, that is the most profound statement. I know we know it because it's been coined. It's been, it's so rich that it's been, you know, it's, it's out there a lot. But think about how profound it is. I thought about, thought about that statement a lot this week. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Everything, you know, what a statement, man. Our words reveal what's in our heart. A good man, he says, out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, brings forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give an account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned." Wow. What is an idle word, by the way? What does that mean, an idle word? Let me hear from you. Just don't be shy. This is interactive. What's an idle word? Pardon me? I couldn't hear. I'm sorry. Loud. Thoughtless. Thoughtless. Great answer. Thoughtless. Yeah, whimsical. Thoughtless. Someone cut you off. Hey, you jerk. That's an idle word, right? And here's what Jesus says. He's keeping track of those. We're in trouble. I have spoken a lot of idle words. 
that I don't want to be judged for. Here's the deal. You can be judged by them or Jesus can be judged by them. You see, if he's your savior, he takes the judgment of all of our sin. It's an amazing gift. But they won't come to Jesus. And he's saying, listen, every idle word you speak will be brought into judgment. Look what it says. It's just amazing. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words will be condemned. Any person being judged by their words isn't going to make it. Not going to happen. How can we tell what's in our heart? How can we really know our heart? The Bible says the heart of man is deceitful. It's deceitful above all things. Who can know it? Well, Jesus can and the Word of God can. And here, the Scripture, Jesus is giving us a a really clear instruction. We can get a good indication of our spiritual condition by looking at, by examining our own words. Our own words. We can get a good indication. And what Jesus is telling these guys is that, hey, it doesn't really matter if you use Christian words or Christian lingo. What matters is what you're actually saying. And look at what you're actually saying. You're saying cruel and evil things. You're missing the boat. And I want you to know, even though we use Christian words, it doesn't mean our intent is good. As a matter of fact, some of the most hurtful and cruel words have been disguised in Christian lingo in my life. Think about it. Judas betrayed Jesus with Christian lingo. Rabbi! And he betrayed him with a what? With a kiss. Yeah, it doesn't mean we use Christian lingo. What matters is what we're really saying. And the religious leaders' words were revealing what was in their heart. What was in their heart? Well, fear, selfishness, and insecurity. How do we know? Because they tear down anything that threatens them. This is why they're speaking derogatorily of Jesus. Because fear and insecurity and pride and jealousy are living in their hearts. And out of their heart, the mouth is speaking. Their words reveal that they are judgmental. Their words reveal that they don't know God at all. You're breaking the Sabbath. Instead of rejoicing that a man's hand was healed, oh, they're hanging on, you know, it just shows they don't know God at all. They're hanging on religious bylaws that they've made up. And so our reveals reveal a lot. They're using nice religious words, but it's all for self-promotion. And their primary interest is not godliness, is not helping others. Their primary interest is personal gain. And if goodness was in their heart, it would show in their words. They'd be celebrating this man's healing. They'd be rejoicing in Jesus' fame because it means that, hey, multitudes are coming to God. That that lives are being restored. They would receive with gladness his wise counsel. They would worship God if goodness was in their heart. But that's not what's happening. 
And Jesus says our words reveal what is really in our heart. And therefore, we can get a good spiritual assessment of our spiritual condition by listening to our own words. I did this this week. I listened to my words. I've been meditating on this passage a lot. And I thought back over the words that I remembered me saying over the last couple of weeks. And I thought, oh my gosh, it revealed so much. If our heart is self-righteous, our words will be critical of others. Our words will be judgmental. We will say things to impress others and to show others how good we are. But if we are saved by grace, if we know that we are sinners, if we know that we just need Jesus' forgiveness pouring into our lives, our words will be gracious and life-giving. And it won't be hard to forgive. It'll be easy to forgive. Our words reveal what is in our heart. Think about Jesus. What did His words reveal about His heart? When he was reviled, he didn't revile back. When someone honked at him and cut him off on the road and yelled an obscenity at him, he didn't give it back. Moreover, when he was betrayed by all of his friends, when he was falsely accused and then falsely arrested, And then given a false trial. When he was beaten for crimes and sins he did not commit. When his back was ripped open by the cat of nine tails so drastically that his skeleton muscles were exposed. When they put a crown of thorns on him and pressed it into his head. When they put a bag over his head so they couldn't see and then clocked him in the jaw. And they said, prophesy to us, who hit you? He could have said, no more breath for you. And they would have dropped dead. But he didn't. Instead, on the cross, his words reveal what's in his heart. What did he say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Judas comes and betrays him. And he says, you slimeball, you selfish pig. No, he doesn't say that. He says, friend, why have you come? You sure you want to do this? In other words, last chance, Judas. Are you sure? Friend, why have you come? Oh, consider his words. Father, forgive them. You know what I know? Oh, my heart is not like his heart. As I examined my words this week, I was ashamed. I was, and I'm so thankful I have a Savior. That my shortcomings can be put on him. See, as we look at Jesus and we see how perfect his words are, it can be discouraging because what do we realize? Oh, I can never measure up. I can never imagine. But instead of looking at it that way, oh, what if we looked at it this way? You have a Savior who did this for you so that you could get the credit of the words that He spoke. Wow. 
His righteousness imparted to me. Oh my gosh. Oh the joy that that gives me. Right? The joy that gives me. His words were, were more than my example. They were my substitute. His life was more than that, my example. He is my benefactor. And I get the reward of all of His perfect words. You know what I know as we examine our heart? Our heart is corrupt, right? We're selfish. And so our words are going to be messed up. The truth of it is simply this. We all mess up. And none of us are going to use all of our words perfectly. We're going to say things we deeply regret. How many of you can relate? How many of you husbands know we're going to say things we deeply regret, right? Yeah, we do. Uh, but the good news is, is that there's grace, right? Uh, uh, even though we're saved, we still have this sin nature. We make mistakes. We stumble and fall. Uh, we, we, we do stupid things that we later regret. Uh, but there's grace for us. And as we look at this today, and as we examine our words to determine our spiritual condition, I, I, I want you to first see it as this way. This is not something to do to feel bad about yourself. This is something to do to evaluate what's really going on in your life. And know that we're not going to do it perfectly and there's grace when we messed up. None of us are going to get our words right. James says it this way in James chapter 3. Let me hear you read this out loud. One thundering voice is one church, one body. Let me hear you read this. Indeed, we all make many mistakes. For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect. And we could also control ourselves in every other way. Here's what James is saying. Look, wait, we're prone. We've got a sin nature. We're going to blow it. And if we could control our tongues, you know what that would reveal about you? You would be sinless if you could just control your tongue. But we can't. We can't. We have this sin nature. We need a Savior. Uh, another verse, verse 8 on your screens. Read this with me. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our God and Father. And with it, we curse men who've been made in the similitude of God. Crazy. Crazy. Oh, I wish it wasn't so. But that's who we are. We're messed up. Uh, and again, this week, as I was meditating on this, I just realized, wow, Lord, I've made lots of mistakes. I've seen some things about my heart. And it, it, it guided me to a better path. See, here's what it does. When we mess up, we have this blessing. We can just say, Lord, that was wrong. Lord, I don't want to be like that. Lord, help me. It's called repentance. And Jesus says, you betcha. Let's go. Cleanse. Now let's move forward together. I love that about the Lord. I love that. It's, the, it's how uh, just amazing His grace is. At times we do fall. Our words do come short. But I also want to say this. If we are truly in Jesus Christ, our usual pattern of speaking will be edifying, not damning. Will be edifying and not damning if we are truly in Christ. So as we look at your words now, we can use our words to evaluate our spiritual condition. And as we do so, here's what I'm getting at. I want you to use them not as a snapshot, but as a movie of your life. As a snapshot, I go, ooh, gosh, I regret saying that. I regret saying that. But now look at them as a movie of your life, not a snapshot. How are your words? Are they edifying? Are they building? You see, here's what else James says about it in chapter 1. Let's look what he says here. James chapter 1, verse 26. Let me hear you read this. 
If you, let's change, hang on, let's do this. Let's change the word from you to we, okay? Let's read it that way. If we claim to be religious, but don't control our tongue, we are fooling ourselves and our religion is worthless. You see, on the big picture of things, uh, if we are abiding in Christ, our speech should be edifying. We should be building. We should be generous. We should be forgiving. We should be speaking good things. And so we can get a good indication of our spiritual walk, of our spiritual condition, by examining our words. How are you doing on that one? Take a look. Take a reflection. And know this, our salvation is not produced by our words, but it is displayed by our words. Our salvation is not produced by our words, but it is displayed by our words. And Jesus says, by your words you'll be known, right? You're by, out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. An amazing truth. And so we can, we can look, we can tell, hey... Are we imposters or are we actually walking with God? We can get a good indication of our spiritual condition by listening to our words. May we do that. Again, I did so this week and it was sobering, but it was also freeing. It really inspired me to make a difference in how I speak this week. And I've really enjoyed it. I invite you to that. Second thing he moves us to now is we get a good indication of our spiritual condition, not just by our words, but by our wants. By our wants. By what we want from Jesus. I'd like to ask you to do something for me for a moment. Get a pen and paper out. I'm going to give you 10 seconds to do it, so don't delay. Write the first thing that comes to your mind. What do you want from Jesus? If you could ask Jesus in to do anything for you right now, what would you ask? I'm going to give you 10 seconds to write it down. Don't feel weird about the silence. I want you to literally do it. What would you write? What would you ask? What do you want? What do you want Jesus to do for you? Write it down. What'd you write down? What'd you want? The Bible says you do not have because you do not ask. What did you write down? What do you want God to do for you? Well, Jesus is going to tell us we can get a good indication about our spiritual condition by what we want from Jesus. Let's look what he says. Verse 38. Then some of the scribes and the Pharisees answered, saying to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Interesting. A sign? What do they mean by a sign? We want a miracle. Call down fire from heaven. Turn a rock into bread. Do something spectacular. Levitate. Fly. Make me speak a different language. Do something, you know, do a miracle. And look what he says. He answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. 
For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Very, very interesting. Jesus again uses the same teaching later because they were asking him again later to do more signs. What did they want? Oh, they wanted entertainment. God, bless me. Show me a miracle. If you're really there, God, do something. And Jesus called them a very interesting phrase. He said two words to describe them. Two adjectives. What were the two adjectives? A evil and what? Adulterous. Evil, I understand that. You've got wrong ideas. You've got wrong motives. I mean, that's just perverse, right? And that's evil. But adulterous? When you think of adultery, what do we normally think of when we think of adultery? What do we think of? What? Yell it out loud. What do we think? Cheating. Cheating. What kind of cheating? Cheating like in a board game? No, what kind of cheating? Sexual infidelity, sexual intimacy, the most intimate relationship a person can have with someone other than the one that you have devoted your life to. And Jesus says, you're evil and adulterous. Adulterous? Yeah. You're sleeping with God, but it's not the true and living God. It's a fake God. You're cheating on me. You want a relationship with a God who's different than me. You want miracle God. You want make me rich God. You want give me whatever I want God. You want the God of Molech is what you want. You want, you want, that's not me. An evil and adulterous generation seeks after signs and no sign will be given to it except the sign of what? Jonah. Jonah? Oh, Jonah, I remember that story. As a matter of fact, I have a hard time believing in the Bible because of that story. You mean to tell me a guy was swallowed by a giant fish? Sure. And three days later, the fish barfed him up? Sure. That's a fable. That's not real. Hey, I don't blame you for being skeptical. I don't blame you at all. And some people have dismissed the Bible because of that. If you're one of them, welcome. So glad you're here. Come, let's reason together, God says. What if, what if the Bible is all about Jesus? What if every story in the Bible was about Jesus? What if every story was a picture that God was trying to explain of what he was going to do when he became a man? It was so huge, it was so significant that all of human history, even the calendar, would point either to him or from him. What if everything was about Jesus? And can I tell you something? It is. The Bible says... Speaking of the Messiah, in the volume of the book, in other words, every page, in the volume of the book, it is written of me. You see, the story of Jonah in a well, yeah, it's far-fetched, but what if God is big enough to do that kind of miracle? And here's the story. Jonah was a prophet in Israel. He was commissioned by God to bring a message to the people of Nineveh. The people of Nineveh were not Israelites. They were not Jewish. They were Gentiles, and they were radical sinners. They were cruel. 
They were so cruel. They did incredibly. I mean, we don't have time to go into it. I wish we did. They were, they were, they were bad. And God says, Jonah, I want you to go preach to them. And Jonah said, I'm not going to preach to those people. I hate those people. Jonah's words. And so he rebelled and he tries to get away from God. And God has him thrown into the sea and sucked up by a well and barfed out on the shore of Nineveh after three days being in the well. And he goes and he preaches to these Gentiles and his skin would have been bleached white by all the stomach acids of the well. His hair would have been platinum blonde. Uh, uh, he would have looked like a, oh my gosh, what happened to you? And he came and he preached a message that was very simple. He didn't love the people. He said, you guys are wicked. You got 40 days or you're going to hell. God's going to judge you. And you know what happened? Not because of Jonah's great preaching, but because the move of God's Spirit, they got saved. And you know what that's a picture of? It's a picture of Jesus. Jesus, three nights, three days, three nights in the tomb. As good as dead, just like Jonah, dead in a well. But he resurrects. And who does he go and preach to? The Gentiles. The sinners of sinners. And they receive his message and they get saved. In the volume of the book, it's written of me. And this was what he was doing. And here's what Jesus is saying. You're coming after me for the wrong reasons. You want a miracle. No miracle. Sorry. The only miracle you're going to see is my death and my resurrection after three days. And then the Gentiles get saved. And that's exactly what they saw. They were coming to him for the wrong reasons. Jesus had just shown them all kinds of signs. He healed the blind. He healed the deaf. He cast out demons. He caused a man who had a withered hand. Think about it. There's nothing there. And all of a sudden, it's as whole as the other hand in a moment. The guy rejoiced. Imagine. They just saw these signs, but they wanted more. You know what I know about you? You know what I know about me? We would love to see a sign, a miracle. We think it would strengthen our faith. Can I tell you something? It won't. It wouldn't. It doesn't. They just saw all kinds of signs and wonders. And what did they want? More. And that's the problem with our flesh. It won't strengthen our faith. Think of the children of Israel. They were 400 years in bondage in Egypt in slavery. God delivers them with a powerful hand with 10 mighty plagues. A display of God's power like the earth has never seen. Why? Because it's a picture of who? Jesus. What he's going to do when? In the tribulation period. He's going to bring judgment against the earth. And all those plagues were prophetic of Jesus' second return. But be that as it may, they saw 10 mighty miracles. And they were delivered with a powerful hand. And they were freed from slavery. And God takes them and brings them to the edge of the Red Sea. And what do they see at the Red Sea? The Red Sea parts. And they travel through. And God puts a pillar of fire because Pharaoh's army is coming after them to kill them. And they all travel through the Red Sea. Three million Israelites. They all get through. The moment they get through, the pillar of fire comes down and all of Egypt's chariots and the, their tanks and their F-35s and everything else come flying through. And guess what happens? Uh, 
the Red Sea just closes in on them. God destroys all, of, all the weapons that are fashioned against them. Amazing miracles. If that were not enough, every day God led them by a cloud in the desert to shield them from the heat. And at night, he gave them a pillar, for, pillar of fire. It was the manifestation of his presence. If that were not enough, every single day they had a miraculous provision. What was it called? Manna every single day. And on and on and on I could go. Manna every single day. It would turn. It would go rotten every single day. You got a fresh batch every day. On the Sabbath, the day before the Sabbath, you were manna. You were to gather twice as much. It didn't go rotten miraculously that day. On and on and on. Amazing miracles. <coughs> miracles. Amazing miracles. And you know what happened to them? Those Israelites? They saw miracles every single day. And what happened to their faith? They all died in unbelief. Unbelief. Miracles won't strengthen your faith. You know what will strengthen your faith? Knowing God's will, obeying it, and watching the amazing fruit come, you will go, God, you're amazing. Experiencing Jesus forgive you of your sin and wash you and not condemn you and give you vision and wisdom and direction for life so that you're encouraged to move forward in Him. Oh, that'll build your faith. Reading God's word and seeing prophecy unfold in front of our eyes as we watch the world go through history will strengthen your faith. Doing God's will. Signs won't strengthen your faith. Obeying God's will. And here's what we learn. We must examine our wants. What did you write down? Because here's the truth. It's possible to come to Jesus, come to Jesus with wrong motives. Many do. Many do. They were. We want to see a sign from you. It's possible to come to Jesus, but not because you love Jesus, not because you want to know Jesus, because you want to use Jesus as a tool to get what you want. Jesus is just a, a mode to an end. Bless my life, Lord. I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling. I want this. Oh, I got this, this. I need this. I need this. I need this. Hey, examine your wants. Why are you coming to him? The religious leaders were coming to him with wrong motives. And we can get a really good indication of our spiritual condition if we examine our wants. Our wants. Why are you coming to him? For prosperity? For health? For wellness? Well, hey, Jesus loves to give us all those things. But not for those things themselves. Jesus blessed you with a lot of things. And you know what he wants you to do with them? He wants you to be generous with them. Jesus has blessed you with divine forgiveness. Now go forgive others. Jesus has blessed you financially. Now use that to bless others. Bring your offerings to the Lord. And here's what the Bible says. Give and it will be given back to you. Pressed down and overflowing. And you will have an abundance. That's just a truth. Jesus really wants to richly bless you. But there's those who turn that God's goodness into something else. And instead of coming to him to worship them with what they have. They come to him and they give so that they can what? Get more. And what they're really loving is not Jesus but money. They're only giving so that they can get more. And you know what? Jesus has no part of it. No part of it. We cannot seek the gifts above the giver. 
It's perverse. What would you think of a beautiful young woman, very attractive, stunning, and she marries a man for his money? I know that would never happen, but what would you think if it did? What would you think? You know what you would think? That's not love. That's perverse. And many come to Jesus that way. We cannot seek the gifts above the giver. Jesus fed 5,000 with a few loaves and a few fish. He fed 5,000 and people came to him. That was at lunch. And the next day they came to him. At dinner they came to him. Hey, we're hungry again. Do that again. Do that again. That was amazing. And you know what Jesus said? You do not seek me because I'm the Messiah. You seek me because you were fed. Don't seek after temporal things. Seek after the things that really matter. What do you want from Jesus? And here's what we learn. We must not come to Jesus to get what we want. We must come to Jesus to get what He wants. The reason we come to Him is not to tell Him what to do, what we want. The reason we come to Him is to get instruction and guidance for life so that we know what to do. What do you want from Jesus? What did you write down? Our wants give us a good indication of our spiritual condition. Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger, hunger and thirst for wealth and prosperity. Is that what he said? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst to get all their problems fixed. Is that what he said? No, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they shall be what? Filled. Filled. Yeah, I'm going to give you. Here's the coolest thing. Those who sought Jesus saying, hey, we want to see a sign. We want to see a miracle. Jesus said, I'm not going to show you any signs or miracles except my death and my resurrection. But those who sought Jesus for Jesus saw all kinds of signs and miracles and incredible things. And so will we. So will we. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and all of his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. Yeah, he's going to bless you financially. Yeah, he's going to bless your, your going in and your going out. You're rising up and you're laying down. He's going to bless you, your kids and your dog. and I mean, your life, he's going to bless you if you're seeking him. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. But if we... Only give so that we can get more. Our love is for money. Our love is not for Jesus. And the Bible says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So, we can get a good indication of our spiritual condition by examining our words. We can get a good indication of our spiritual condition by examining our wants. And the third thing Jesus is going to show us is we can get a good indication of our spiritual condition by examining our worship. Our worship? What do you mean? Well, let's look what Jesus says. Verse 41, right where we left off. The men of Nineveh, back with the story of Jonah, the men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment with this generation, speaking of the Israeli nation, the men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. 
And indeed, I want you to underline this. I want you to say it out loud with me. Read these words. And indeed, what? A greater than Jonah is here. A greater than Jonah is here. Who's that? Greater than Jonah? Jesus. Here's what he's saying. The people of Nineveh repented with a lame message like, Oh, you guys stink, man. You're sinners and you better repent or God's going to judge you. And they did. Jonah didn't love the Ninevites. He was just fulfilling his duty. And here's what Jesus is saying. A greater than Jonah is here. Someone who actually loves you. The creator of your soul is here. He's madly in love with you. And his message isn't a message of judgment. It's a message of grace and forgiveness and sonship and daughtership and entering into a relationship with me. And they repented at the message of Jonah. And yet you won't come to me in this message of love. Wow. Our worship. How do you see Jesus? Look what else he says. Verse 42. The queen of Sheba, excuse me, the queen of the south will rise up in judgment with this generation, with against Israel and condemn it, condemn Israel. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And indeed, underline it, say it with me. What is it? A greater than Solomon is here. What's that? Yeah, amazing. I mean, the queen of Sheba, she was the queen of Ethiopia. She traveled land and sea. Do you know why? Because she had heard there's this king. He's in Israel. He's incredibly wise. He's wiser than any man has ever lived. And he was. He's richer than any man that has ever lived. And he was. His kingdom is incredibly advanced. He is glorious. And so she traveled land and sea. Second, Second Chronicles chapter 9, if my memory serves me correct, uh, you can read about it. It's a great story. She loads up ships with all kinds of gifts to bring to Solomon. And she comes and she sees him. And she sees the glory of his kingdom. And she says, oh my gosh, I heard of the wonderful things you have created. The wonderful kingdom that you have built. I thought it was just, just rumors. I thought it was just, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, um, folklore. But it was, oh, the half of it wasn't told me. It exceeds everything I was told. And you know what the Bible says? She came to him with her hardest, most difficult questions about life. The things that were really troubling her. And Solomon was able to answer all of them with profound wisdom. Nothing stumped him. And she gave him all of her gifts as she was in awe of his kingship. Tradition tells us. Hebrew writings tell us. Jewish writings tell us. That the queen of Sheba. Actually became a wife of Solomon. And carried his child. And went back to Ethiopia. 
We read in the book of Acts, there's the Ethiopian eunuch and he's reading a scroll of Isaiah. How did he get that? Here's how the Queen of Sheba went and spoke to Solomon and Solomon gave her the wisdom of God's word and gave her a scroll of the word of God. And it was replicated in Ethiopia. She became a believer. Here's Jesus' point. The Queen of Sheba traveled land and sea to seek the wisdom of Solomon, to seek the kingdom of Solomon. And I tell you, one far greater is here. The bride, not of Solomon, but the bride of Jesus is here and he wants to give the kingdom and all of his wealth and all of his riches and all of his wisdom and all of his insight to you so that you might know him, you might walk with him. Oh, how incredible. And yet they won't receive his wisdom. Here's the question. Jesus is telling them, hey look, one greater than Jonah is here, one greater than Solomon is here, but you won't worship him. You come to him haphazardly. Your heart's not moved. And here's the question that we must look at. Oh, we can get a good indication of our spiritual condition by examining our worship. May we examine our worship of Jesus Christ. Are you in awe of him? Do you marvel at who he is? Do you seek him first? Do you come to church more interested in being with friends or being with Jesus? Do you come to church more interested in looking for a spouse or in looking for Jesus? Nothing wrong with coming to church to look for a spouse. Hey, look around. Some amazing people here. Go at it. It's a good thing. But don't come to church for that reason. Come to church to worship Jesus, and all these things will be added unto you. All the riches of the kingdom will be yours. All the wealth of the kingdom, all the wisdom of the kingdom, all the mysteries of the universe, he'll explain to you. But come for him. Did you come to worship? Why are you here? When we sang songs, are you worshiping? If you're not, no condemnation, but repent. And next Sunday, when you have the opportunity, come to worship. In the car, turn the music up. Sing your heart out to the King of Kings, for He is worthy of all praise. Oh, are you worshiping? We can tell a lot about our spiritual condition by examining our worship. When you need wisdom, where do you turn to? Who do you worship? Philosophy? Self-help, psychologists, or Jesus? Who do you come to? We get a good indication of our spiritual condition by examining our worship. Put Jesus first. This is worship. The religious leaders, they were not worshiping God. You know what they were? They were moralists. They weren't worship of God, worshiping God. They were moralists. Do you know what a moralist is? A moralist who is, is someone who's just all about doing good works, doing good things. And there's nothing wrong with doing good things. I'm all for good things. God's all for good things. But that's not the purpose. The goal, it's not the goal. The goal is being worshiping God, being an intimate relationship with Him. And they substituted that for doing good things. And look what he says to them, verse 43. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places, seeking rest and finding none. We get a really interesting insight into the spiritual world right here. An unclean spirit? Yeah, a demonic spirit. 
When it goes out of a man, he goes through dry places. He's like, oh, I want to be somewhere. I just, just, and he's seeking rest. And he finds none. Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. Yeah, a demon, that's all you are. You're just a piece of property. You're just an object to use. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Interesting. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits, more wicked than him, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. And now here's why Jesus told us this. So shall it also be with this wicked generation. What's that? What's that mean? Here's what Jesus is saying. He's speaking to the nation Israel, where the religious leaders are a part of. The nation Israel has done this very thing. They went into captivity for 70 years because of idolatry. Oh, they made idolatry of little sexual images and little Mercedes-Benz images and all that kind of stuff. They worship materialism and sex just like we do today. And they made idols of it and they went into captivity. They went into Babylon for 70 years. When they came out of Babylon, guess what they never did again? They never did again. They never made an idol. And so they cleaned their house. But they didn't fill it with God. They didn't fill it with a relationship with God. And now, they instead, they filled it with moralism. Doing the right things. And Jesus says, the end condition, the, the, your end state is way worse than where you were before. Why? Why? Here's why. Because moralism will make you think that you're right with God when you're what? When you're not. And Jesus said, if the light that is in you is darkness, it's the greatest darkness there is. Far better to be on skid row knowing you need Jesus than to be the moralist who thinks you're a good person and, you know, God's lucky to have you, right? Uh, Dangerous. Dangerous. They were religious moralists, not worship of worshipers of Jesus. And so here's, uh, as we move to our last point, here's what we're learning so far, right? We can get a good indication of our spiritual condition by looking at our words. Hey, what's the volume of my words? What's the movie of my words? How am I, how am I doing? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. We get a good indication of our spiritual condition by looking at our wants. What do I want from God? Am I trying to get God to do what I want? Or am I really coming to God to get what he, to learn what He wants? And we get a good indication of our spiritual condition by looking at our worship. Are we in awe of Jesus? If you're in awe of Jesus, you're going to open your Bible in the morning and you say, Lord, speak to me, man. I'm in awe of you. I want to know you. You're going to pray. Oh, I want to talk to you, Lord. I'm in awe of you. You're going to come to church early so you can sing songs. Oh, I want to praise you. You're going to bring an offering, a sacrificial offering, and say, Lord, I want to give this to you because I want to make sure that you have a higher place in my life than money. And, oh, God's going to bless you in abundance because you're worship. You're worshiping Him with awe and reverence. The last thing He brings us to is we can examine, we get a good indication of our spiritual condition by examining our walk. Our walk? Yeah, we'll wrap it up with this. Uh, Look at verse 46. While He was still talking, the multitudes, excuse me, while He was still talking to the multitudes, behold, His mother and His brothers stood outside seeking to speak with Him. 
His brothers, yeah, James, Joseph, Simon, Jude, his biological brothers. Then one said to him, look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. Uh, By the way, uh, there is a teaching in the Catholic Church of the perpetual virginity of Mary. Uh, I'm not against Catholicism uh, or the Catholic Church. I know some great Catholics who are great Christians. So I mean no offense by this. I'm just simply teaching the Bible. And they take this verse and they say, oh, that word brethren there doesn't mean biological brothers. It means cousins. Can I tell you something? Hogwash. There's a Greek word for cousins and there's a Greek word for biological brothers. And they did not use the Greek word for cousins. They used the Greek word for brothers. So uh, it's brothers. His brothers are there. Verse 48. And he answered and he said to them, Who is my mother? And who is my brother? Interesting. Who is my mother and who is my brothers, my brethren? Now, there's also a teaching in the Catholic Church that Mary is a co-redemptrix. And when we pray, we can pray to her and she will help us. And again, I mean nothing against the Catholic Church. I'm not, no vendetta against them, right? Uh, That's not what this is for. I'm just teaching the Bible. Here's what Jesus is saying. If Mary had that sacred role, he wouldn't say, who is my mother? Right? He just wouldn't. And furthermore, the Catholics teach we come to Mary instead of Jesus because we don't want to bother Jesus. I mean, he's too important. So we'll come to Mary. It's given as a position of humility. Like, well, I'll just, I won't bother Jesus. I'll bother Mary. Mary, help me. Uh, Mother Mary. Um, And here's the thing. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus calls you his bride. And I tell you what, I know as a husband, what I want more than anything is my wife to come to me and to share herself and to give herself to me completely and entirely. She's not bugging me in any way, shape, or form. And woe to the person who stands in between us to keep that from happening. Right? And so Jesus says, who is my mother? Who is my brother? Why? Why does he say that? And he stretched out his hand, verse 49. He stretched out his hand towards his disciples and he said, Here are my mothers and here are my brothers. Interesting. How awesome that would have been. Oh, don't you wish you could have been there? It'd be like this right here, all of us followers of Jesus. And he goes, Oh, here's my brothers. Here's my mothers. Jesus is saying, Oh, We're in the same family together. That's why he became a man. That he might associate with us. That he might let us know his great love for us. In our last verse, verse 50, look what he says. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my what? Brother. And notice there he doesn't use the word brothers or brethren. He uses the word in the singular tense. The moment that you do the will of God, you, he says, are my brother. You are my sister individually. Amazing.
the creator of the universe would call me his friend, his brother. Amazing. Amazing. And so we close with this. We can examine our spiritual condition by, uh, by looking at our walk with Jesus. Jesus says, whoever does my will, that's my brother. Does our heart long to please him? Do we think about him? Do we say, Lord, I want to know what your will is. I long to know your will. Whoever does the will of my father, that's my brethren. That's the one. Our relationship with Jesus is way more than a verbal declaration of belief. Hey, I love altar calls. And I love the moment when you say, yes, I need to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. But our walk with Jesus is way more than just a verbal declaration of belief. Our faith is displayed in our behaviors, in our daily walk, in our loyalty to Jesus, in our, listen to this word, in our desire to deny our flesh that we might Walk with Him. Check out this word. In our desire to be sanctified. Theological word. To be set apart from all the things that are against Him. That He doesn't like. So that I might be set apart to Him. That I might be with Him. You see, we can look at our walk. And it will reveal a lot about our spiritual condition. He's not a license to sin. So I can get a get out of hell free card. But he invites us into a relationship, into a walk, so that we might know him and walk in his ways. Jesus said this. I'm going to ask Kyle and the band to come up and uh, close us in a song. Why don't you stand with me as we do. Jesus said this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does what? The will of my Father in heaven. Our walk with Jesus, like our tongue, will never be totally perfected. And we'll stumble and fall. And there's amazing grace when we do. The battle between the flesh and the spirit is real. And I tell you what, we fall often and uh, we fall, you know, re- you know, regularly. But when we do, we do something different. When we fall, what do we do? What do we do? Lord, I'm so sorry. That was so messed up. Lord, please forgive me. I said that word and I was so prideful. I was just trying to elevate myself. Lord, please forgive me. And you know what that reveals? That reveals our walk with Jesus. We're not any better than anyone else. But we're walking with our Savior. And we come to Him for direction and guidance. And for cleansing and healing. And so this week... As we go about our our days, may we take Jesus' words to heart. Because there's posers in the kingdom. There's imposters in the church. 
And we can examine our spiritual condition by looking at our words, by looking at our wants, by looking at our worship. Are we in awe of Him? And by looking at our walk with Him. And as we do, here's what I know. He'll fill you with His Spirit. He'll pour out the wisdom of Solomon upon you. He'll give you the riches of the kingdom. He'll give you insight into how to restore that breach in that relationship. How to reach that wayward child. How to show grace to that difficult boss. How to have compassion on that one who wronged you so badly. How to forgive them. How to make it through when you feel like you've lost all your friends and you're all alone. He'll impart wisdom and truth and guidance. And your light will begin to shine. Your joy will begin to flourish. Your life will begin to move. You'll walk with the Lord and everything will be added unto you to the praise and glory of Jesus Christ. Your life will glorify Him and you'll sing and worship of Him because you're bringing yourself before Him in honest reflection and He's the rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. May the Lord bless you. May you have a great week. May you be filled with joy that you have a Savior who doesn't come to you like the prophet Jonah. You better get right or I'm going to judge you. But instead comes to you and says, Oh, I love you so much. Now walk with me. And may that joy fill you to overflowing to the praise and glory of Jesus. God bless you. You may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it. Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless.